Don't look now. Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hegeman, coming to you each week with a new topic of interest. As always, Jenny, Jenny is our keeper of the topic. I never know what we're talking about till we're talking about it. So, Jenny, what are, we, what are we talking about this week? What's the scoop? All right. This week, it is the beginning of Spooktacular Month, um, even though it's week two already because I have no concept of time. So I thought we would do a good old-fashioned story about the strange and mysterious and board games. Ooh, strange and mysterious and board games. I think that there's only one super creepy board game, if you call it a board game out there. (laughs) At least that's a really good point. (laughs) Comes to mind, but you know, it gets gets sold in the kitty aisle at at Target and Walmart and stuff, so it it qualifies. So so yeah, yeah, I'm assuming... Assuming it's Ouija board. That's right. Today we're talking about Ouija board. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I. uh, I have lots of bad connotations of the Ouija board from when I was a kid and saw a crazy. Probably it's not scary now because I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But as a kid, a scary movie where you know you use the Ouija board and you lose your soul and demons show up and all that kind of stuff. So you know that scared the crap out of me you know, ruined Ouija boards for me. So, Right. So we're going to talk about how Ouija boards went from a family fun board game to the devil summoning portals <laughs> to hell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's always my first connotation, sadly. Is <laughs> the demon, demon summoning, summoning portal plan. to hell. <laughs> yes, exactly. Always well, just remember, strikes me as odd that cemetery is a plan, portal but... to hell. So, I mean, anything can be a portal to hell these days. Yes. True. True. Yeah, I mean, are we already there anyway? I mean, it seems like this year has has been kind of hellish. This year's been rough. I'm sorry to everyone that's had to live through this year with us because it's been a lot. (laughs) Uh, All right. All right. Ouija board history. Let's do this. So in February of 1891, um, that was when it was first advertised in some of the papers, and it was called Ouija, the Wonderful Talking Board. Um, it was a Pittsburgh toy novelty shop that first advertised it, and they described it as a magical device that answered questions about the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy. And it promised never failing amusement and recreation for all the classes. It was a link <laughs> between the known and unknown material and immaterial you know it's funny still to this day when i hear the word classes i think yeah. about like school not necessarily yeah. social stratification it's gonna come in I, you don't see too many things advertised for all the classes these days you know right i i kind of love and dislove that because if anything we're more socially stratified than we've ever been but people don't comment on it yeah, we're not we're not willing to acknowledge it God, no. Just like you don't tend to see games for all the races these days, even though. (laughs) Exactly. It's good to have a a game for all the races, but it's just, it's just assumed, I guess. I don't know. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's just assumed. Yeah. Yeah. So good stuff. Uh, Another advertisement in a New York newspaper calls it interesting and mysterious. 
And as testified, it was proven at a patent office before it was allowed. <laughs> the I'm original sure price was a dollar fifty. Dollar fifty. Yes. What the heck is that in twenty twenty money? I have no idea. You know, from eighteen ninety one yeah. to twenty twenty. I'm gonna guess twenty uh, x or something like that. So, you know, thirty bucks. I don't know. And I'm going to look this up now because so in 1891, $100 was equivalent to $2,800. Yeah, it's about 20.8. So, so yeah. 2,800. So, no, that's 28. What is it? It's 42.84 today. All right. There you go. There we go. I did the math. Yay. I can math. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> it, look, it's it's a rough week. <laughs> it's, 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 I'm dead. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, I don't think that like conversion of cash is linear the way most math is. I think there's more to it than just like a A plus B equals oh, C. It's, it's straightforward. I just can't math. That's it's. A, oh, okay. You know. Well, I had to use. The don't internet. need to. Don't need to make excuses for me. I just can't divide one number by another. It's it's okay. See, I thought there was some complex formula. I was trying to get you out of that. Well, no, no, now just failed. That's all. <laughs> so this mysterious docking board that is advertised is almost exactly the exact same thing that was sold in the 1890s as is sold today. It's a board with letters of the alphabet in two rows and um, the number zero through nine in the upper left and right corners are the words yes and no. And at the bottom is the word goodbye. It's accompanied by a little tear shaped doohickey called a planchette. And there's like a little window in it, um, which I can't remember. Is the window at the top where the pointer is or the, it's at the bottom, right? I don't know. I've never used one. I've, you know, I have seen them in scary movies, but that's about it. So. Yeah. So it's sometimes yeah. it, it depends on the person using the Ouija board because there's really no official rules on how to play. Um, some people will use the pointer to indicate what letter and then some people will wait till the letters in the little window. Yeah, so I always, I always think of it as in the little window thing, but I think but, it's the window for letters, but the pointer for yes, no, and goodbye. Interesting. Did but not know just, there were separate rules. Hey? I think it just Good depends on the person playing, honestly. <laughs> yeah, okay. I am sure. So. Well, and I probably learned it based off of what someone told me the handful of times I've actually seen one in person. Yeah. Um, so the idea behind this is that there two or more people would sit around the board, place their fingertips on the planchette, ask a question, and then wait for the planchette to move around to spell out the answer to the question. Um, and then the biggest difference between the 1891 version and the modern version is that in 1891, everything was wood, and now it's cardboard and plastic. Yeah. And it costs more for less quality. There you go. Yeah. That is, sums up modern life. That's... Right? It really, it really does. I would okay. like to point out furniture these days. What the hell is going on? I've been looking for a piece of furniture for my house, and I went to a store, and I finally found one that I liked that's expensive. And I was like, I'm willing to pay for a good piece of furniture. I went and I tapped. The damn thing, I don't understand how it looks wood, but it's also just this thin. Yeah, just got that veneer over it and it's all particle board or something. I don't even know if it's particle board. I think it's like bamboo wood that they've huh. hollowed out or something. Oh, weird. 
it's very strange. It's no wonder all furniture falls over and kills people these days. Anyhow. Yeah. yeah no, my, my example was going to be buying my kids hungry, hungry hippos when they were little and like being horrified by how crappy it was now. <laughs> it was like everything. Cause I mean, it was plastic when I was a kid and now it's like even cheaper plastic. It's, it's like just the weight of everything before it used to be a fairly heavy thing that didn't rock around much. And the hippos right. were fairly well made. And now it's just crap. And you're like, Wow. It's all right. part of that planned obsolescence that everyone uses for yeah. materialistic goods these like, days. There's no way this is going to hold up for long at all, but yeah. Nope. Um, okay. So, though truth in advertising is hard to come by, especially from products from the 19th century, this was like the era of the snake oil salesman, mm-hmm. um, the Ouija board was interesting and mysterious, and it actually had been proven to work at the patent office before the patent was allowed to proceed. So that's got to have a story. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what patent officer is going to give a patent for the Ouija board, but you know, you know, you just got to scare enough people into it. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. So the real history of the Ouija board is super mysterious, just like the game. Not really. It's pretty straightforward. Um, there's a guy who has been researching the story of the Ouija board since 1992, uh, because you can do what? Get money for anything. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> Can you make money for anything except for what you actually want to do as a professor? But yeah, you know, it seems like. Great, great. But <laughs> something random and obtuse you can get. Yeah. Yeah, you can get. The go figure. So the Ouija board came out of the American 19th century obsession with spiritualism. So we've talked about spiritualism before with like the Fox sisters and different aspects of um, Victorian era interest in romanticism. Remember the Fox sisters were the ones who would like knock on a wall and ask questions and then wait for knockings back and things like that. Yeah. Um, they did that all across the, the state of New York um, channeling for people at parties, essentially. Yep. So the stories about the Fox sisters reach the national press and spiritualism reaches a peak of millions of adherents by the second half of the 19th century. Now what's weird is I always think of, the Fox sisters and the ilk using the Ouija board. Like, you know, that's what I immediately thought was weird when you mentioned the Ouija board and it's like from, you know, the 1890s. And I always, you know, at least in my mind, I picture like the mediums doing their little crystal ball trick and rocking table trick and having their like Ouija board all sitting there in the 1840s and fifties or something, but clearly, clearly not. So Clearly in the 1890s, yes, in the 1840s, not so much. So spiritualism worked really well for Americans because it was compatible with Christian dogma. So you could have a seance on Saturday and then go to church on Sunday. Um, It was acceptable and wholesome to contact spirits at seances through automatic writings or the table turning, like the rocking table, like you just said. Um, And then everybody would sit at a table with the rocking table specifically. And they would say, I'm not shaking it. I'm not shaking it. And, you know, obviously somebody was, and it was kind of a soulless in an era when lifespan was less than 50 years. So a lot of women died, children died, and then the men were dying due to the civil war. So even Mary Lincoln Todd, um, the wife of Abraham Lincoln conducted seances in the white house after their son died of a fever in 1862 during the civil war. So in during the civil war in general, spiritualism gained hundreds of thousands of people 
because they were so desperate to connect with people who had gone away to war and never came back and they never heard from them. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes sense. It's just odd. As someone that kind of grew up during and post satanic panic, like I'm just used to the church freaking out about anything, even vaguely occult in any way, you know, if there's any feel of any kind of occultness to it, it's, it's satanic or whatever, as opposed to, you know, Christian. It's like, there's, there's nothing that says you can't talk to your dead aunt, you know, but right, and I think it's real interesting considering really we're not that far away from the Salem witch trials in this era, like yeah. that we're talking about, and everything that was seen as talking to the other side was so condemned. Then, I wonder what caused that big change, of, and maybe it was just a movement because people thought that the spirits were more willing to talk. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely yeah. interesting. So the Ouija board was marketed as both mystical and as family entertainment. <laughs> and Fun with an element of otherworldly excitement. Get out the popcorn. It's Ouija board time. Exactly. Uh, It was really common to communicate with the dead. It wasn't considered bizarre or weird. Um, So, like, now we look at it, we're like, okay, well, you're trying to open the gates of hell. There's definitely a demon popping through. Um, But that was not on anybody's mind when it was, when the Ouija board was designed by the Kennard Novelty Company. So they were the first producers of the Ouija board and they were not looking to open a portal to hell. They were trying to open up people's wallets and get some cash. It sounds like they were doing a good job of it at roughly 40 some dollars a board. So, (laughs) okay. So keep that figure in mind as we talk about how many they sell, right? Yeah. So um, as spiritualism had grown in American culture, so did frustration with how long it took to get a meaningful message out of the spirits. So like, if you can imagine what you would do is you would sit during a seance and yell out letters of the alphabet and then wait for the spirit to knock to correlate (laughs) it. So it was like stupid boring and took forever. These seances could last hours. Um, So they were trying to find some sort of rapid communication and they were used to the telegraph, which is like our version of a text message in this day and age. So they were like, why can't we just telegraph the spirits? which is essentially what they tried to do. So in 1886, the Associated Press reports on a new phenomenon taking over all the spiritualist camps in Ohio. They call it a talking board, which was basically the Ouija board that had the letters, it had numbers, it had the little planchette device. Mm-hmm. And this article, it kind of just hits all the newspapers. And there's a gentleman by the name of Charles Kennard in Baltimore who looks at this article and he's like, I have an idea. I couldn't market this shit. <laughs> so he gets together a group of investors, um, including Elijah Bond, who's a local attorney, Colonel Washington Bowie, who's a surveyor. And did I get everybody? I forgot somebody. That's okay. To seems, start the, the company. It seems incredibly 1800s to make sure you have to invite, you know, let's have Colonel Bowie join our investor group. That's, you know, <laughs> you can't have a good investor group without some colonel or general or something that, you know, is just there to have that air of military or something. I don't know. It's, it's Yeah, well, that's probably because there weren't that many people and most of them had already fought in the war. That's true. Yeah. So none of these guys were spiritualists, but they were all just like good businessmen and they had identified a niche. So they didn't have the board yet. Um, the talking board lacked a name. So when you hear the word Ouija or Ouija, as I like to say it, because yeah. I'm not really sure how you actually produce <laughs> it. 
But if you say it based off of the way that it's spelled, it should be Ouija. So people thought it was a combination of French for we or yes and German for ja. Um, However, (laughs) it's actually what the historian of the Ouija board has determined is that Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, who Bond said was a strong medium, is the one that actually came up with the name. Sitting around a table, they asked the board what they thought it should be called, (laughs) and Ouija came through. And when they asked what it meant, the board replied, good luck. Yes. So there you get the question of, is the board wishing them luck, or is the board being snarky? I'd like to think snarky. Is it a nice thing? Good luck. Yeah. 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 You need you need some kind of inflection from your Ouija board to know exactly what's being said. Uh, right, because then it's just like a text message and you just yeah. hope that you've got the intent correct. Yep. So as eerie and cryptic as that is, um, it should be known that Miss Peters acknowledged she was wearing a locket bearing the picture of a woman with the name, um, the, the name Ouija above her head. So the story that kind of emerges from letters that the historian found around this time is that it's possible that the woman in the locket was actually a famous author and women's rights activist named Weta, and um, that they just misread her name on the locket because it was teeny weeny. Yep. And also writing was weird back in that time. Yeah. Yeah. Now that makes me think of various, you know, ESP debunkers and things like that that have gone through and shown that, you know, Basically, people make the same errors whenever they're talking to ghosts or getting information from others that they themselves have. So, you know, if you you always pronounce something wrong, amazingly enough, the ghost does too kind of stuff. uh, Right. But you also, you're a voice for that ghost. So how else can you describe that? I don't know. There's always a way out. All right. Yeah, there is. There is. So according to interviews with the descendants of the Ouija founders and the original Ouija patent itself, the story of the board's patent request was actually true. So knowing that if you can't prove that the board work works, you're not going to get your patent. Mm-hmm. Bond brought his medium sister-in-law, Miss Peters to the patent office in Washington with him when he filed his application there, the chief patent officer demands a demonstration. If the board could accurately spell out his name, which was supposed to be unknown to Bond and Peters, he'd allow the patent to proceed. So they sat down, communed with the spirits, and gosh darn it, wouldn't you believe that Planchette sure spelled out the patent officer's name? <laughs> Whether or not mystical yeah. spirits were involved, uh, Bond was a patent attorney. Yeah. So he could have guessed the guy's name, Um, But no one's really sure. But what they are sure of is on February 10th, 1891, a white-faced, visibly shaken patent officer awarded Bond a patent for his new toy or game. Nice. I also wonder if they got the patent officer to, like, join them with the Ouija board and then just kind of let him guide Yeah, he might have guided his own name. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the first patent has no explanation to how the device works. It just says that it does. <laughs> Magic. Right? Uh, so that ambiguity and mystery was part of the marketing effort. Um, so remember, these were really shrewd businessmen. They, they knew it was a moneymaker, and they didn't care what people thought about how it worked. And good Lord, did it make some money. So by 19, or 1892, the Kindred Novelty Company went from one factory in Baltimore to two, 
two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London. And then in 1893, Kennard and Bond were, they left the company because of some internal pressures, you know, because money and power, crap like that. Um, And William Fold, who had gotten in on the ground floor, he was that mysterious fourth one that I just forgot. Um, He was there from the very beginning. He was an employee and a stockholder. He ends up running the company. So even though he never claimed to be the inventor, in his obituary, the New York Times declares him to be. And oddly enough, I thought this was a really cool anecdote, actually. Not cool, but like interesting. When he died in 1927, he'd actually had a mysterious freak fall from the roof of the newest factory. Um, and it was a factory that the Ouija board had told him to build. <laughs> so people thought that like the spirits pushed him. I don't know. Demons, man. That's, that's what I'm saying. Demons. Yep. In 1898, with the blessing of Colonel Bowie, the majority shareholder and um, one of only two of the original investors left, he licensed the exclusive rights to make the board. So what followed were just like boom years for um, Fold. And then the people that had seen it through from the beginning were just really like bitching to each other through the, (laughs) as they watched it in this New York or the Baltimore Sun. Um, and whenever someone else would try to come up with a rival board, it always failed. So his was just kind of like that solid one. Yeah. Um, and then in 1919, Colonel Bowie sold the remaining business to Fold for $1, which we've just decided is about $42 <laughs> in modern money. Crazy. I wonder, wonder what had Colonel Fold getting, or Colonel Bowie getting out. So. Yeah. Probably he just was like, I'm tired. I just want to retire. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Soul's been sucked from my body. Here's a buck. I'm out. Something like that. (laughs) Um, So the board's instant and still successful nature. It's over 120 years old. um, Marketed as mystical and family fun. uh, Meant that it wasn't only spiritualists who bought the board. It was like, people who disliked the board even um, and those who wanted to get rid of spiritualists so that they just could cut that middleman out and go straight to the board. It, I mean, everybody bought these damn things uh, and it appe- appealed to people from across a wide spectrum of ages, people from any profession, uh, any education that could afford it. And uh, it was a fun way for people to believe in something and they wanted to believe in something out there that was powerful, and this allowed them to express that belief, right? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty logical based on that that its greatest popularity would be during the most uncertain times, um, and people were looking to find a belief in answers from anywhere, especially cheap DIY oracles. So in the 1910s and 20s, during the World War I devastation, during the manic years of jazz, during Prohibition, there was a surge in Ouija popu- popularity. It was so normal that in May of 1920, that amazing depictor of all things 20th century dom- domestic- domesticity, domesticity, Domest- that's a hard word to say. <laughs> Sir Norman Rockwell uh, actually painted a, a picture of a man and a woman with the Ouija board on their knees, communing with the great d- divine nice. um, for the cover of the Saturday evening post. So it was pretty. Yeah. You, you know, you have made it when you've been Norman Rockwell eyes for sure. So right. I'm trying to picture that for some reason, Norman Rockwell and Ouija boards just don't go to he- don't go together in my brain, but you know, the whole thing just kind of blows my mind because in my head, I can vaguely picture what it looks like. 
yeah. if I remember right, it's just like the middle of an afternoon, pretty like yellow, bright tones. It's not sinister at all. Like, yeah. 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 I just assume that. I mean, I've got this automatic, you know, Norman Rockwell. I can just guess at it just because, you know, it's Norman Rockwell and they all have that same quality. So, you know. Right. It's just funny because our connotation of the Ouija board is like satanic <laughs> in nature. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so during the Great Depression, actually, it was so popular, they had to open new factories to meet the demand for the boards. Over five months in 1944, a single department store sold 50,000 copies during the Great Depression when everybody was starving. Yeah. Well, 44, you got, yeah, you got World War II. So I'm sure all that pretty much just ran straight together. So you'd have yep. depression and World War and everybody would be wanting to contact the dead. So Yep. Then in 1967, a year after the Parker Brothers brought the game from the Fold Company, two million boards were sold. It outsold Monopoly that year. Um, and about that same time was when troops were in Vietnam, the counterculture summer of love in San Francisco began, and the race riots in Newark, Detroit, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee began. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of when you're talking about the tarot, because the initial deck that everybody copies, you know, that became popular seemed to kind of blow up about that same time turn of the century slightly after and then then there was a big boom of it again basically counterculture in the 60s and you know seems to seems to follow the same path anyway man i actually i should have looked up i wonder how ouija boards are selling right now i, they, I bet i bet good i bet they're doing bank right now so and parker brothers i'm sure is happy so parker brothers man i'm telling you yeah i mean it's probably doing better than you know Candyland at this point so <laughs> so um strange ouija tales also were like fun to find in the newspaper so in 1921 and national wire services reported that would-be crime solvers were turning their ouija boards for clues in the mysterious murder of a new york city gambler joseph burton elwell which frustrated the f out of the police <laughs> um police do not like psychics <laughs> yeah Sure then in all 19- kinds of fun tips yeah how the hell are you going to go to a jury like yeah the ouija board said to do it but you know it's patented that's right it's patented yes in 1921 the new york times reported that a chicago woman being sent to a psychiatric hospital tried to explain to doctors she wasn't suffering from mania but that ouija spirits had told her to leave her mother's dead body in the living room for 15 days before burying her in the backyard yeah that's that's foul <sighs> honestly that's really not to me, that one didn't make much sense because during that time, that really wouldn't be that long. Yeah. Unless she murdered her, then it's a different story. <laughs> Karma. I don't know. Just, it would be unpleasant. But... Yeah, it would be. In 1930, newspaper readers thrilled to accounts of two women in Buffalo, New York, who had murdered another woman. See, this is when. Yeah. Then it's bad you know yeah. then i'm i'm concerned um they murdered another woman on the encouragement of the ouija board in 1941 a 23 year old gas station attendant from new jersey told the new york times that he joined the army because ouija board told him to <laughs> in 1958 a connecticut court decided not to honor the ouija board will of miss helen dow peck who'd left only a thousand dollars to two former servants and an insane 152000 to Mr. John Gale Forbes, a ghost who'd contacted her via the Ouija board. Nice. 
Now, I, wonder I how would they like found his address. Yeah. How do you get him the money? <laughs> do they set up a bank account? I, yeah. Anyhow. Maybe you burn it and then he has access to it. Oh, that's an idea. That I mean, might as well during that period yeah. of time. <laughs> I don't, uh, just reminds me of an accountant joke that I don't even know why it does, but yeah, <laughs> Go similar it. situations. You got you got the you know rich man that basically you know gives large sums of money, say a million dollars, to like his you know. His lawyer, his doctor, and his accountant, and they are to, you know, place that million dollars back in his casket when he dies. So, you know, they come back and, you know, man dies and they all return to the funeral and, you know, the doctor's like, well, he owed me a lot of money, so I only put, you know, 700000 in there because, like, you know, he owed me the rest. And the lawyer's like, you know, I'm not giving him shit because I'm a lawyer and, you know, screw him. And then the accountant's like, I can't believe you two, you know, how could you not follow his last wishes? I wrote a check for the whole thing and set it in the coffin. So yeah. <laughs> Nice. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So I wrote a check. That's funny. Yeah. See, that's the way to do it. I'm yeah. You. you know, accounting. Yeah. It's about intention. It's not necessarily yes, exactly. about follow through. You know. Yeah. Follow the ethical rules there. Right. So Ouija boards even offered literary uh, inspiration. In 1960, Miss Pearl Curran made deadline, deadlines headlines when she began writing poems and stories that she claimed were dictated via the Ouija board by a, 17th, by a spirit of the 17th century, um, an English woman called Patience Worth. The following year, one of her friends, Emily Grant Hutchins, claimed her book, Jap Heron, was communicated via the Ouija board by the late Samuel Clemens, also known. <laughs> As Mr. Mark Twain. Karma, stop growling. <laughs> My neighbor's dog's out and he just likes to growl at him for some reason, even yeah. though he's three fences away. Yeah. Anyhow. So Miss Curran, Miss Pearl Curran earned significant success. Miss um, Hutchins less so, but neither of them achieved that Pulitzer Prize winning heights like the poet, Mr. James Merrill. In 1982, his epic Ouija board-inspired and dictated poem, Changing Light at Sandover, won the National Book Critics Circle Award. (laughs) He publicly implied the Ouija board was more of a magnifier of his poetic thoughts rather than a hotline to spirits. Yeah. And then um, another book he wrote, Mirabelle, the Book of Number, he told the New York Review of Books, if the spirits aren't external... How astonishing mediums become. Dude. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh. He just started singing his growling. Yes. My baby. I see you. So the Ouija existed on the periphery of American culture, perennially popular, um, super mysterious and interesting. And Aside from a few cases of supposed Ouija-inspired murders, nothing was super threatening until 1973. Oh, my God, dog. In that year, the exorcist scared the pants off of people's in theaters um, from the good old movie The Exorcist. If you don't know the story of The Exorcist, it's supposedly based on a true story that'll scare the pants off of most people. Um, It's about a 12-year-old named Reagan who's possessed by a demon after playing with the Ouija board. And um, 
like she has this massive change in personality. She becomes like possessed and then they try to exercise the demon from her. And it was basically the origin of the Ouija board is evil. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I still have never seen the movie, so I didn't know that that was how the, the demon got her. So, yep. Yep. That was definitely the sort of thing that happened in the movie I saw as a kid. So, if I remember right, it was something like it wasn't a straightforward, like because she was playing the Ouija board, she also had to have some other evil in her heart or something like that. Like, and so it's also kind of a corollary tale to how, why you should listen to your parents because her mother was a single mother and it was basically how can we demonize women, (laughs) single mothers. And her mom was a famous actress. And like, it was all the things that we demonized women for in Hollywood at the time. Nice. Yeah. Um, But prior to that, like the Ouija board had been in films and on TV. So like there was an episode of I love Lucy where Lucy and Ethel have a seance that uses the Ouija board. But soon as it went to the exorcist, it became overnight a tool of the devil. And then (laughs) all horror writers and movie makers were like, Oh, you know what? We should put this in our scary movie. It's going to open the door for evil spirits to come out. And so it immediately in the following years um, was denounced by religious groups as Satan's preferred method of communication (laughs) Uh, It was burned in bonfires as recently as 2001 in New Mexico, along with Harry Potter and and Disney's Snow White. (laughs) Satan's talking through Snow White, huh? Uh, Something about how she uses the mirror to communicate with an evil spirit and then um, the poisoning of the apples and changing herself into a witch. Like it's just a depiction of modern witchcraft, which is denounced. Interesting. Yeah. So Christian religious groups still remain pretty wary of the board. um, And they basically cite scripture denouncing communication with spirit through mediums. So the Catholic.com calls the Ouija board far from harmless. And as recently as 2011, the 700 club host, Pat Robertson declared that demons can reach us. (laughs) Good old Pat. Yeah. And when he tells you not to do it, well, yeah, exactly. That, 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 that means it's safe. All right. Yeah. Right. Pat Robertson uh, thinks it's the case. It's clearly not. So yeah. what is the opposite of what he <laughs> said? <laughs> so even within paranormal community, Ouija board kind of has a dodgy reputation. Um, so apparently when the good old historian first began speaking at paranormal conventions, he was told to leave all of his antique boards at home because the antique boards were much scarier than the modern cardboard ones huh now personally i'm like dude how can i get my hands on a really cool like 1890s ouija board that yeah, would be like an actual wooden one that would be cool yeah would be especially because they originally when they when you open them up they're on like little casters and everything they're really pretty sets um <laughs> that's i think it's just really pretty i don't necessarily yeah. want a portal to hell in my house I but just, i just need to display it just because you know it's art like everybody right? that has their chess piece you know everybody's got their little chess set over in the corner of their living room or something that they never play that is just there to to look cool but you know right yeah the parker brothers and later hasbro after they acquire parker brothers in 1991 still sold hundreds of thousands of these things the reason why was 
like a big difference from the original family fun entertainment with popcorn. Now spooky, now spooky boards, as Jen calls them. Uh, yeah. Now Ouija boards are spooky rather than spiritual. And there's that like element of danger. So they're like the bad boy of, of board games. Yep. Yep. That's what I, you know, now pretty much picture them as just edgy teens hanging out, you know, trying to be witches or warlocks or something playing with their Ouija board, and, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of yep. bad. Uh, in recent years, Ouija's popular again. So that's driven by economic uncertainty and the usefulness for a plot device. So um, like Paranormal Activity 1 and 2 had a Ouija board. I didn't watch it. I don't care. Um, and then it's also shown up in Breaking Bad, Castle, Rizzolian Isles, and other paranormal reality shows. Um, you can pretty much go anywhere you want. So like Hot Topic, um, Spencer's, and they have Ouija-themed products. Stuff, okay. Yeah, so like even Michael's was selling pillows this year for Halloween that had Ouija boards on them. And <laughs> honestly, I was tempted. They were beautiful, but they look they literally look like pieces of art all this stuff that they sell right now with that vintage flair to it is just yeah. beautifully done um thinking you could have a ouija pillow and whatever you wake up and have slobbered on is what's you know coming through ooh, from the other side so you know that's great yeah um so apparently they hasbro released a more mystical version uh replacing the glow in the dark so the panchette used to be glow in the dark um So if you wanted to get kind of a more realistic looking board, they're selling that. Um, Another version, another company has also been licensed to make the classic board. Um, And at one point in 2012, apparently Universal was in talks to make a film based on it. Like Clue, the best movie in the history of movies with Mr. Tim Curry. Yes. Good stuff. Yeah. Like Clue is one of my all time favorites. So. Oh my God, I was watching that as a kid and loving it. And yeah, that was my first Tim Curry movie. Hmm? Have you seen the show Psych? Um, no, I haven't. I've seen oh. I've seen so clips they, from it and stuff, but I've never actually not ever actually seen it. So the show is ridiculous, and I love it. But they do a clue homage because they at some point there's one whole season basically where they like pick on movies from their youth. Yeah. So they do like Twin Peaks, um, Lock, Stock, and smoking whatever that movie is and then they did a clue episode and in the clue episode almost every single character from clue was in it except for tim curry because he'd already been in a previous season and it was right when he had his stroke if i remember right but it was just freaking awesome that would be awesome yeah no it's a great episode i would be okay just watching clue and the big lebowski over and over myself but you know I do watch Clue over and over. I've already seen it four times this month. <laughs> it's one of those comfort movies for me. I can, yep. it's just, I love that movie. Yep. Yep. Uh, I got, I got far too much of that memorized. So. Uh, yeah. So now what does science say about the Ouija board? Well, it says it's patented. That's what science That's says. right. It's patented. Um <laughs> Scientists say it's probably not spirits or demons. Probably. Like 80%, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Pretty sure it's not demons, but we're not going to go out on a limb and really say no. It's just... You know, I, I feel like science allows for the fact that there's that one outlier. Yeah. Like, we're 99% sure, but there is that chance that there's yeah. like one demon that yep. stepped in. 
it's a chance. It's not likely, but there's a chance. So <laughs> they don't. <laughs> so we team boards work on a principle known to those studying the mind as the ideometer effect. Um, in 1852, physician and physiologist William Benjamin Carpenter has this report for the Royal Institute of Great Britain that examines automatic muscular movements that take place without conscious will or volition. Um, so like when you're watching a commercial on TV and you just start crying or something like that, where it's, you're not trying to, you're not really focusing on crying. You just start crying. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of that conscious, uh, you're not consciously doing it. It just happens. Uh, almost immediately, other researchers saw applications of this effect in popular spiritualist pastimes. So in 1853, chemist and physicist Michael Faraday, who's he's the guy that invented the Faraday cages. Yep. Yeah, yeah. he has a bunch of stuff. So he's also... He was an inventor. Yeah. Remember yep. back when people were inventors? Yeah. Good old Faraday's law, all kinds of good stuff. So Yeah. One that so, invented induction. So He invented induct. There you go. See? He was intrigued by table turning and did a bunch of experiments that proved to him, although not to spiritualists, that the table's motion was due to the ideometer actions of the participants. So he was the first person to try to prove that. And it's pretty convincing. So Dr. Chris French, who's a professor of psychology and anomalistic psychology at Goldsmiths, um, explains it generates an impression that the movement is being caused by an outside agency, but it's not. Mm -hmm. So there's other examples of this, such as dowsing rods or those fake bomb detection kits that deceived a bunch of international governments and armed service workers. Yes. Yeah. Those are got the story behind those. Cause I went to the American physical society meeting a long time ago and, uh, they had a talk by James Randi, who was the, used to be the amazing Randi, and basically then you know, decided to change course and spend his life debunking psychics and ESP and fraudulent people. And uh, they had the whole company that was making those things that got shut down. But it, would, it was basically a dowsing rod. It was like a little handheld scanner that had a little thing that rocked back and forth that would then point toward what you were looking for. And they had little cassette modules that you could pull out and plug in to change. So you could like have like, you know, the illegal immigrant detector, which was actually one of the things they had. And they had the like illegal drug detector and the like, you know, explosive detector and stuff like that. And, you know, they gave it to, you know, police forces bought it and all kinds of stuff. But then they realized that, you know, police forces were getting themselves sued because basically all it was was just straight profiling because amazingly it just happened to, point at every car of black people that drove by and you know they showed that there was actually nothing to it but uh, the best part of the story was they were making these modules by i don't know why they actually did this they must have somehow believed it at some level that they basically put their little you know karmic energy into these photocopies of images of the things they were supposed to find so like they got pictures of like illegal immigrants and then like photocopied it and folded up the paper and stuck it inside the little plastic widget that was supposed to go into the thing. And what sent them to jail was that, you know, their crack cocaine finder, actually, they like put a bunch of crack on there, like photocopier and photocopied it and it was still sitting around. So they were busted for drug possession and uh, that shut their business down, but go figure. Have you ever heard of, um, God dang it. I'm not going to remember what the actual name of it is, but it's like, 
uh, they call it the memory of water. So what they would do is take, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Where they take like a thing and then they distill it with a bunch yeah, of water and then the water out. is supposed to hold the yeah, molecular homeo homeopathic remedies. Yes. Thank you. Homeopathic. Yep. I was like, I can't come up with yep. that word right now, but yeah. So like it's a discussed that in the exact same presentation with the like dowsing rod people. Of course they did. Yeah. One of the best ones was somebody was making homeopathic remedies and then they came up with a way to like send homeopathic remedies over the internet. So you could like download your cure to whatever you wanted. You just had to like get a bottle of water and then take your speaker cable and wrap it around the thing. And then you would download a sound image that they would then play yeah. and the electricity would go through the wire and change your water molecules so that it would now cure you. Uh-huh. So I've heard. To, and you know, it's it's similar to how that. sound is going to cure cancer right yep yep yeah yeah it's a bummer because you want these things so and that's how these things work is that people yeah. just want them to work so badly that part of them believes that it does yep. um, yeah it sucks <sighs> so how about how does all this crap work uh basically it if you think about like dowsing rods ouija boards um even like that there used to be a thing where you would hold like a ring on a necklace over a belly to see if it would swing in a circle or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that would determine the, the sex That's of the baby. baby yeah. Right. So it's based off of very small muscular movements that cause a, a bigger effect. So like planchettes in particular from the Ouija board system are really well suited. So what they are is super lightweight construction with little casters to move smoothly and freely about um, so when you do, when you touch it, it takes nothing for it to fling across the board, right? And <laughs> very small jerk of your hand, which like with me, my hand shakes all the time. So like my yeah. hand shaking could cause a pretty big effect on the board. So with Ouija boards, it also has a big social context. So it's, it's a lot about the group of the people and everybody has a little bit of an influence. Um, so when you're, when you're doing this, not only do you as the individual give up the conscious control to participate, so you're like, it's not me, I'm not doing it, and then you're in a group of people with that same mentality, no one's mm -hmm. going to claim it, even yeah. if there is someone who is maybe a little bit more consciously trying to take, you know, trying to make it do what it's supposed to do. So when everyone's saying I'm not doing it, you can't do Ouija board alone. You yeah. have to have two people at least, right? Yep. So once you have that, like, a plausible deniability, yep. it definitely Yeah, I can see totally without even acknowledging it, everyone thinking, it'd be sure cool if it went over to the O and it just manages to go on over to the O. Because right. as the closer it gets to the O, everybody's so sure it's going that way that it just happens to be there, you know? I can and remember a lot of, like, especially during the spiritualist phase, they were really good at targeted questioning to mm -hmm. get the answers that they wanted. So then it would be really easy to ask a question in such a way that the only option is to move towards a predetermined word. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the actual researchers. Researchers at the University of British Columbia's Visual uh, Cognition Lab actually use the board to examine how the mind processes information on various levels. Um, so they kind of use the idea that the mind has multiple levels of information processing. Um, so they would look at it as the conscious, unconscious, subconscious, preconscious, and zombie mind, which I love that term. 
<laughs> haven't heard that one before. Right. And so it's like the mindless, I guess. Um, and all of these theories have supporters and detractors. So for this particular version, we're just going to talk about like the conscious and non-conscious mind. Um, so conscious is that you're aware that you're doing something. So I'm aware that I'm poking the dog currently because he's driving mm -hmm. me crazy. Um, and then the non-conscious is that I'm blinking and breathing on my own. Although I do have to remind myself to breathe occasionally. Yeah. Okay. So a few years ago, Dr. Ron Rensink, who's the professor of psychology and computer sciences, um, a psychology postdoctoral research by the name of Helene Gachow and Dr. Sidney Fells, who's a professor of electrical and computer engineering, oh, one yeah. of Will's buds, <laughs> began looking at what happens when people sit down to use the Ouija board, right? So Fells says that they got the idea after he had a Halloween party at his house with some of the students and with his friends, and it was a fortune-telling theme, um, which... I think it's funny that the ECE professor is the one that had this big Halloween party with the <laughs> theme. I just want to point that out. Usually you guys aren't into theme parties and I yeah. just think this is stellar. <laughs> so he's hosting this Halloween party and he has to explain to his foreign students who've never seen a Ouija before what it is and how it works. So they kept asking him things like, but where do you put the batteries? How does it actually work? <laughs> Finally, he gave, gives up like trying to be like, no, it doesn't, it's not like that. And just says, super Halloween, mystical, friendly explanation. He says, um, so it's, you, you communicate with spirits like this. You have to do it, blah, 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 blah. And then lets the students play on their own. Uh, he comes back a couple hours later and the kids are still playing, but they're super kind of like freaked out by it. So a few days later, or post hangover, as he likes to say, which... <laughs> Once again, I've met y'all. You don't talk like this. Um, <laughs> he starts talking with his buddy, Dr. Rensick, and a few others about what's actually going on with the Ouija board. So they thought that the Ouija board could offer a really unique way to examine non-conscious thought um, and determine whether or not idea, mode, or action could express what the non-conscious knows. So he was like, well, it probably won't work, but if it does, would that be freaking cool? <laughs> so... Their initial experiment was a Ouija playing robot. Participants were told they were playing with a person in another room via teleconferencing. And the robot, they were told, mimicked the movements of the other person. Actually, though, the robot's movements simply amplified participant motions and the person in the other room was just a ruse. So they would, what it did was make the participant think that they were not in control that the other person was. Mm-hmm. And then they asked him a bunch of yes or no fact-based questions. So like, is Topeka the capital of Kansas? Um, is the name of the university where Will teaches, Kansas State University? You know, like mm -hmm. those kinds of questions. And then they used the Ouija board to answer the questions. And what they found was really interesting and surprising. When participants were asked to guess the answers to the best of their ability, they were right about 50% of the time, which is pretty much a typical result for a 50 50 yeah. question right it's the statistic yep. yeah you throw a quarter basically but when they answered using the board believing that the answers were coming from someone else they actually answered correctly upwards of 65 percent of the time so that's a pretty big yeah statistical difference right yep and Trust they your decided gut. That, that is you know yeah that is true gut feeling right there that's for sure um, so the question was like, how could it be that much better? It's such a dramatic, big change. 
So their explanation from the psychology team was just that the non-conscious was a lot smarter than anyone realized. So unfortunately, the robot was too delicate for further research. Um, so the next level, the participant actually played with a real human. And at some point, the participant was blindfolded. So they saw the board, they had their hand on it. And then the other player would take their hands off of the planchette. Mm-hmm. And then um, the participant thought that they weren't alone or sorry, the other participant thought I'm not alone. There's another person here, not knowing that the other person had taken their hands off and they went on like this autopilot. And so they could still see that the answers were coming just from the participant Um, and it worked. So some participants would complain that the other person was moving the planchet around. And (laughs) if they said that specifically, they knew that that was a really good sign. Like that meant it was really working. Yeah. And their results actually replicated what they found with the robot. Uh, So people knew more when they didn't think they were controlling the answers. So it was still 50% for verbal and then 65 when they used the Ouija board. Yep. No, I'd believe it. I mean, my, the best I ever, you know, I did quiz bowl stuff in high school. The best I ever did was when I was crazy tired and stayed up all night hadn't slept in like 36 hours and like, I no longer had the mental bandwidth to question myself. So I just answered immediately without thinking about it or worrying about it or anything else. And it was suddenly a hell of a lot better. So yeah, go figure. Right. It's so weird. So the, the experiment shows that the Ouija could be useful in um, investigating non-conscious thought processes. Um, and the question is, how much and what does the non-conscious mind know? How fast can it learn? How fast can it remember? And so the, there's a lot of things that it could be used for. But one of the biggest things that can be used for is um, Alzheimer's research. Nice. So they think that indications of the illness could show up in Ouija manipulation before being detected by your conscious mind. So they've cool. been working on using... Um, developing a protocol on using the Ouija board as a tool. Um, Unfortunately, this one's one they are having difficulty actually getting funding for, which I think is interesting. Seriously, you can get funding for anything. It feels like now that you want to do something useful with it, it's hard to find funding, but you know, right. And you would think with Alzheimer's research that like that would be one that people would just be money, money, money in, but yeah. So it is interesting. Um, And there's, you know, they're using their own funding to try to, um, to do some of this research at this time. So maybe they will be able to use it to come up with some impact for neurodegenerative disease. That would be cool. So we'll see. Um, basically they make it on a claim. The board does offer a link between the known and the unknown, just not what we know or (laughs) want to believe. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. So let's go down that rabbit hole, talk about some crazy shit. In 1994, during the trial of Stephen Young, a 35-year-old insurance broker who was accused of murdering newlyweds Harry and Nicole Fuller, the jurors had apparently asked a board about the real killer. The board told him that Young was guilty, so they decided he was. <laughs> Turns out that that's not, like, the best way to handle that. <laughs> So result in a mistrial. Yes. So when it was discovered, of course, that uh, the Ouija board was involved in conviction, he was granted a retrial. However, he was still found guilty. Probably because their non-conscious brains knew exactly. bro was guilty. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much just a way to get jury consensus. You can all just go in, and if you all touch the planchette, whichever way it goes, it's telling you what you all think. So decide you all think he's guilty, and it's all good. Yeah. I agree. I think it should have just held. (laughs) Uh, So out the history of the Ouija board, numerous violent crimes were blamed on it. Uh, Most cases popped up after movies that were apparently based on a true story. So there was a case in 2001 when an ex-mayor in Oklahoma was stabbed to death in his sleep by his mother-in-law who claimed the board told her he was evil and had to be killed. Yeah. You know what, know what his mother-in-law was already thinking before, before she ever ran into the board, but yeah. Then in 2014, a man claimed the board told him to kill his family dog. And then later on his wife and stepdaughter using the same board told them that they were going to die. So they decided that meant they should set their house on fire. I'm still not sure how A plus B equaled C on that one. But yeah, I think there was, I think there were some substances involved. Just, just guessing, but yeah, that's what I'm going to guess too. According to co-founder Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson, he wrote the famous 12 step recovery program under the guidance of a 15th century monk named Boniface through a Ouija board. Once again, are we sure that it was alcoholic <laughs> that he was with? <laughs> he had a spook room in his house where he frequently spent time to contact the spirits of the dead. So no big surprise there. He was a known user of LSD and had been involved with LSD experiments with the one and only Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World. Nice. <laughs> I don't. I have real now questions about the efficacy of Alcoholics Anonymous knowing his background. Yes, yes. Now that I know that it was made by a guy high on LSD in his spook room with his Ouija board, I'm, I'm a little more worried. But And his 15th century monk friend, Mr. Boniface. Like, yes. I don't know. That just really is unnerving to me for some reason. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know what? Alcoholics Anonymous for the people it works for, it works for. So I don't want to knock that, but yeah. But yeah, no, that's, that's pretty odd. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that is the story of the Ouija board. Awesome. Well, that was cool. Thank you. Good topic. I'm here. There's also apparently a Ouija board place in Baltimore. I tried to send our friend Damien there, but he didn't get to go. I don't think. Yeah. And um, the guy that made it on his tombstone is a Ouija okay. board. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to you have to hit that up and pose tomb and everything if you're gonna gonna go. Yeah, more, so. yeah. Cool. Yeah, there's a whole book tour that that's on. Nice. Yeah. Maybe I'll check it out someday if I ever get back to Baltimore. If I'm ever if allowed ever to travel, travel ever again. Yeah. I know. So yeah, that's the story nice. of that's the glory of the Ouija. Yay. Well, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> and thanks to all of our listeners for checking in again this week. Um, you know, as always, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. Um, you can always contact us through our Facebook page or don't look now 19 at gmail.com and uh, we will catch you all next week. Bye. Bye-bye.